All right, hey everybody. Uh, we are back with another edition of KC Music Talk. My guest today is a band leader, writer, keyboardist, organist, Chris Hazleton. How you doing? Good. Good to be here. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. Um, I don't really remember where I met you, but I've seen you around the scene for you know since I've been into town and stuff, and um, I think it's really neat uh, that a lot of us like the. Uh, like Eddie Moore, Matt Hopper, Brad Williams, DeAndre, yourself, all of us are kind of sort of finding each other as kind of younger, younger guys in our new music scene here in Kansas City. I think, I mean, isn't that kind of cool that that there's quite a few of like us thirty-ish year olds that are and and uh, you know it's it's funny now that uh, now that we're all kind of in our mid thirties ish mm. that like we're kind of we're kind of becoming the older cats. Mm. Um because there's I'm, I'm meeting more and more new young players that are better than I am <laughs> every week. Yeah. It's it, an in- incredible thing. And doesn't it seem like you find at least a new one every week? Yeah. yeah. I mean their scene is so huge, right? Yeah. I mean the depth is incredible. Mm. And like I mean there's so many uh um, what's the saxophone guy, Steven, uh, oh, uh, uh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, yeah, I can't remember his name, <laughs> what's his name, <laughs> but there's that, like, you can go on and on and on at all of us, like a lot of the guys that came out of UMKC right. and, uh, and Lambert, Steven yeah, Lambert, yeah, yeah, Steve yeah, yeah. Lambert. that's his name, um, yeah, and I mean, there's a ton of them that I can name, Dom, uh, Dominique, I mean, there. You know, it's just like. Well, and even even folks that are are just moving here from other cities anymore. Um, it, it's not even. It used to be that that um, everybody that was in the scene was being churned out of UMKC or KCK mm-hmm. Community College or, uh, you know, local institutions. And anymore, there's there's so many guys that have moved here from St. Louis and from Des Moines and from Omaha and all these kind of regional places. And it, Kansas City has just kind of become this. Midwest epicenter for the music. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was kind of weird because even like even in like eighteen hundreds, like Kansas City was like the stopping point, right. and then everybody went other places. And I think that that's kind of a little bit the same with our music scene. You see a lot of guys come here from what you just described, right. Tulsa and Des Moines, and like, and then all of a sudden they get their chops for five years or something, and then they start going to Austin and Nashville and like and. Uh, and that's just really cool. But another cool thing is there's a lot of people that stay too, right? You know, for a long time. And um, so, like, so you were talking before we started about um, where where did you say that you played before KC or? Where'd well, you say, I you know? I grew up here, um, and I I, uh, I learned from a couple of different teachers here, um, namely Everett Devan was my mm-hmm. my primary mentor. Um, and I learned from Jim Merritt, KCK Community College. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to New York in t- uh, 2007. I was out there for two years. Uh, just kind of immersed myself in the scene out there. Mm-hmm. Um, really got my butt kicked mm-hmm. mu- musically several mm-hmm. times over. Um, and, and learned a whole lot of valuable things. Um, and then, you know, by the time that I decided, well, you, need, you know, New York is fun, but I don't think this is where I want to spend the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I moved back here in 2009, uh, and at that time, you know, like you said, a lot of the, a lot of guys our age were coming out of college, um, and the scene was really starting to kind of steamroll into what it is now. Um, and the the thing that I found is special about Kansas City that I, I, you know, I just didn't see it in New York. You know, New York is. It has so much talent, and it's you know it's the jazz capital of the world. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's got all these players, but there's not the spirit of camaraderie mm-hmm. that we have here, and there's not the the spirit of um, collaboration that mm-hmm. we have here in Kansas City. I mean, dude, you know, music uh, here is a really really collaborative spirit. Oh yeah. Um, you know, everybody has a great respect for each other, mm-hmm. and people genuinely are interested in whatever everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't find that in New York, at least in my experience. It's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody's got their own singular agenda, um, you know, and everybody's trying to pursue their own career and dreams and things. And 
I think I think that makes Kansas City a very special place as far as music goes. Oh yeah, I mean I always think that we're we're a very jammy kind of a town. I mean there's so many first of all open jams here, but sure. even even in regular shows, people have people come sit in all the time. Right. And then there's like, I know I want to talk about this in a minute, but somebody when you have a band like yours and two horn players can't make the gig, I mean you go to your you oh, go to your man. phone and then there's. 10 more to call, you know, and they'll, and I think you just hit on something that I bet you've even had another, like a bass player, you know, some player in your band that recommends another bass player. Would that happen in New York? I do mean, they, do they want to do that? You know, do yeah, they want to, no, nobody's really, nobody's really trying to uh, relinquish their own gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's a degree of that here too, but, but you know, that's, uh, you know, like you said, you, any given instrument, uh, you know, if, if the main guy can't make it, yeah, there's a list of ten guys you can call that, that can play the gig well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I say, which, guy, I say guys, but I which, should say guys and gals, because there oh, yeah. is um, some incredible, incredible gal musicians in mm-hmm. Kansas City, too. Um, With short notice. Yeah. Too, you know, oh, like and, a day ahead of time, and they're like, alrighty. And especially in a band like mine where... Um, you know, we've got a large book of material, and it, you know, all my charts are stacked together and in concert pitch. So horn players have to transpose on the spot. You I'm sure they hate me, um, but Such I, you a know, dick. I've, I've had <laughs> I've had so many musicians that have come into that gig and just shredded it mm-hmm. without any problem, having never seen the book before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's an incredible feat. Oh it's, yeah, you know. I don't know how they do I it. I couldn't do it. You couldn't play in your I, own I, band. I, 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 I couldn't be a horn player in my own band. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, dude, I feel the exact same way. So, so with your band, tell me uh, or tell everybody what the general concept of your band is that you have right now. So it's called the the Boogaloo Seven, um, and this is a band that uh, I put together four years ago now, um, just as a one-off thing. Uh, at, uh, I, I got a call from the manager of a club down in the Power and Light called the Kill Devil Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, hey, I got this night open and uh, you know, have a little bigger budget if you want to put something together. And I said, okay, cool, yeah, well, maybe we can do something that's kind of like a funk, kind of like soul jazz thing. And so I, I called uh, some longtime friends, um, Nick Howell and Nick Rowland, mm-hmm. um, who I have been playing music with uh, since we were in high school yeah um yeah yeah. we all we all went to high school together and and um and then of course uh um, at that time kevin frazee was on drums Mm -hmm. and uh gary helm on congas and matt hopper who i've played Mm -hmm. with forever and uh brett jackson yeah and so we got this thing together and we just prepared a bunch of like funky like late 60s blue note prestige era Mm -hmm. you know organ jazz things that I figured, you know, we'll try and get people to dance and, you know, we'll have a fun night and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Well, it went so well that we're like, well, we can't just do this one time. We got we to gotta do this again. And um, We did another show at the Kill Devil Club. And then after that, we were approached by John Scott at the Green Lady, who was like, I think you guys need to have a regular gig and, like, make this a band. And we're like, oh, okay, let's do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And so uh, we've been now doing the, the, the Friday night house gig at the green lady for three and a half years wow um and it's been you know we've we've had a lot of fun doing it we've had some personnel changes over the mm-hmm. over the years um you know danny rojas came in on drums uh within the first year uh pat conway came in on congas within the mm-hmm. first year and then uh just this last july uh zach Pishnata came in on alto and tenor sax uh when nick Roland left the band, mm-hmm. um, but we've had we, you know we've had fun. We've recorded um, a couple of forty fives mm-hmm. um, <laughs> straight to analog tape. That's cool. We did um, a uh, live LP at the Green Lady Lounge that we released uh, just a little over a year ago on vinyl and on CD. Um, and that's had really great success. And we just uh, just last Sunday finished tracking our next record. So. That's cool, man. Yeah. That's really cool. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so with a band with a band like yours where you're dealing with six to seven whatever people, um, <laughs> that, you know, yeah, you're already laughing. 
that so uh, when I, I so I ran a band for a while and uh, DeAndre and Brad played, which was out of control. Dudes. Yeah. The dudes, right? The dudes. Yeah, yeah. So I remember. It was, you know, kind of a whatever, like a fish kind of a band, you know, jam band, but with jazz guys. And I, I thought it was pretty fun, but it was my it was my first experience kind of running a band, not being a side guy. And it was a huge experience for oh, me man. to go on that side of, of the band and, and so so tell me like running a band, because I'm always really curious about this, is like what are what are some like perks to running a band and maybe some challenges as well, you know, to just talk to everybody about, you know. <laughs> Which side do you want me to start yeah, on? Whatever. <laughs> Answer it however you want, man. Well, you know, the perks obviously are, um, you know, as a musician, you, uh, I don't think that I'm ever seeking validation for my art. Um, but that being said, as the band leader, I, I receive a lot more of the, of the, um, accolades or comments, mm -hmm. uh, praises than a lot of the, the guys in the band get. Um, you know, I, I get emails from, from people when we've released records that, you know, have great things to say. And, um, you know, and then on top of that, you know, it's a rewarding experience for me just to, to be able to, um, to bring this music that's inside me you know, to the world and to the, to the city. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's nice to, um, to see that what is important to me personally, um, kind of holds some weight, uh, you know, within the community. Mm -hmm. Um, feels good, doesn't it? It does, yeah. you know, and I, you know, I don't, hopefully I, I don't think I'm an egotistical person, but mm -hmm. I may be wrong about that. Um, <laughs> But you know, it's it's a it's rewarding for me to to um, to have my name on something and, and see it do well and um, you know. But that being said, it's uh, it's a it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, you so know. What, the, so what does that mean? It's a lot of work. Explain to well, people what you're talking about. I mean, when you when you think about sidemen. Um, you know, obviously some guys put in more than this, but generally speaking, sidemen just get to show up, play the gig, get paid, and go home. Um, as a band leader, right, as a band leader, you're doing, you're doing work outside of that all the time, whether it be, you know, if you're writing original music for the band, then, you know, you're, you're spending time writing, you're spending time arranging, you're spending time charting, printing, Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have, you're printing the charts and putting them in books and yeah. organizing the books and reorganizing the books when your side men put them out of order and, you know, and then on top yeah. of that, um, like you said, in a band where there's uh, six people besides myself, um, that oftentimes feels like running a daycare, uh, <laughs> just making sure that everybody's in the right place and wearing the right things and you know, I, I have I, I have a, a Excel spreadsheet on my computer from the last four years of who's on what gig and who I got. You know, if I, have, cool. I have a sub, I have it highlighted in yellow. If I have it covered, I have it highlighted in, in green. So, I mean, I have it literally in yeah. a, a four-year-long attendance That's record cool. of my own band. But, it, you know, that gets challenging. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, keeping up with that, um, making sure that every slot is filled every week sometimes more than once a week um you know and then on top of that you know the the job of uh you know being the the booking agent for your own band you know mm. finding finding gigs you know thankfully we've had this regular gig for a long time yeah. we've had a regular gig at the the tap room in lawrence for a mm. couple of years now once a month uh, but you know as far as booking any other you know, festival gigs or um, private event kind of things, you know, all of that requires work outside of just showing up and playing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then and then not to mention um, that, you know, this this band kind of started uh, the record label that I own and operate. And so there's that whole side of the of the work also in producing the records yeah. making the artwork for the records yeah, wow. uh, you know sending them out for mixing and, and or not mixing pardon me but mastering and pressing and all you know all the 
all the work that goes into making records for the band. Yeah. I mean, so it's a, it's, it's a full-time job. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, the, the on the spreadsheet thing, uh, that would be just insanely neat to like go back and look through i mean that right that would be insane to go back and look through all the different combinations of people and all the all the people that your your band has affected at least in regards to one gig or so you know that'd be kind of crazy to go back and look through that but uh i I like to go back uh through through the year and and tell my band who had the worst attendance record (laughs) right (laughs) well so so the thing that that i guess that i wanted to focus in on with all that you just said is the idea that all of us you 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 were just joking about it like herding cats or something you know how we're all, and I always joke this phrase that we're we're all adults technically, you know, <laughs> like and so like we're we're not we're not trained on we're we're trained to play music beautifully. That's really what we're trained on. We're not trained to be all that organized of what you just all said about how organized you have to be. And do you think that that definitely gets some pe- like some other bands in trouble when they don't do what you just did. Oh, absolutely. Keep- I mean, you're talking about spreadsheets and crap, you know, which yeah, is not yeah, what any musician usually wants to hear. But how important you, is that? You know, I've heard this this uh, this philosophy several times over that there's no there is no music business. There's music and there's business. Mm. And they're each separate muscles that have to be flexed and exercised and trained and I love that you know yeah. if um, if you don't have both arms if you don't have both arms flexed and trained mm-hmm. uh, w- one's gonna be weaker than the other mm-hmm. and so uh, you know the business side of things is something that I've I've taken very seriously in practicing uh, mm-hmm. you know just like we practice our instrument practicing business is uh, is a very very useful and necessary skill. Oh yeah. How many problems does it put to you when you don't have that spreadsheet? You know what I mean? A, oh, a man. player. You know how 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 annoying I, would your life be? You I mean, know, I'm like, a very type A yeah, kind of person. Yeah. I I you know I I'm kind of anal in that way that I I need to know who's who's on what and what yeah. we're doing and you know. It, <laughs> or else my guys my guys or... make fun of me because the the book uh you know our our book. You know, is uh, all the charts are alphabetized and in uh, you know uh, page protectors, and I have they they really make fun of me because I have fonts on all of the titles of my tunes right. because I you know if I'm flipping through the book and I just see the same font over and over, I'm gonna flip past things all the time. But if I put different fonts on each title, like I can I can be like, oh, there's a tune. Yeah. But they make fun of me relentlessly sure. for my fonts. <laughs> yeah, but you're like, I don't care. Yeah. This is this is totally working, it, it and, works you're, for me. and you're super organized, right? Mm-hmm. So screw you guys, <laughs> you know. But uh, but yeah, that, I I just love people talk, talking about that, and I, I love you're talking about the two different muscles because there's there's uh, the other one is the I know you guys probably don't handle this as much as like a person like Lonnie does, who's in regards to like talking to the audience and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's another one of those. Yeah parts of the business that we don't get trained on saying jokes to an audience and how do you deal with the crowd and like even reacting to the crowd of knowing okay they're they're starting to they're starting to build here maybe we need to give them like one more good big one and then go to our ballad instead of the ballad right now or what you know all that kind of stuff is stuff that i think a lot of people they just want to play music and that's all they've really given thought to and I don't know, you know, I don't know. I think there's... Well, I mean, you know... That's why Lonnie is so successful is because he has a very right. killer instinct for the audience. He's definitely very good on the mic. He does have a very good business sense, you know, and and then he hires killer people and then it's right. over, you know. It's like, well, you know... And therein is the is the difference between musician and entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, entertainers hire musicians. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, oftentimes, you know... There's musicians that uh, that don't, they're not good at entertaining. Yeah. Um, they're great at music. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they they can enhance an entertainer's show. Dramatically. Um, yeah. And that's not to say, you know, there's some people that are that are musicians that put on a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that those don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least within, you know, the 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 business of 
performing in especially in Kansas City um, you need to have an element of entertainer mm-hmm. as well as musician um, because you know when when you're just a musician you fall into that trap of becoming ambiance mm-hmm. yep your your background mm-hmm. and and you're a beautiful background but right. uh, but that's what it is there's a role for that. I mean, there is, sure. Uh, you can make great money being ambiance. Yeah. But uh, not for me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I got you, man. Um, so so I guess the next thing is that playing a lot of, you know, obviously pigeon, pigeonhole, pigeonholing it into jazz is silly, but, but the kind of jazzy scene that we have, um, there's a lot of uh, improvisation that goes into it during the playing, and it cracks me up because I, I talk to so many different kinds of musicians, like classical people and country guys and teachers and stuff, and it's it just cracks me up how classical players are so scared to death of improvising. <laughs> you know, they 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 would they're like you know no you know and, and which it, is funny and, because like historically a lot of the greatest classical figures in history were some of the greatest improvisers mm-hmm. ever to live. Fuck. Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah. They, you know. But anyways, cadenza, yeah, cadenzas, and it's it's been a part of it, but then they lost it along the way somehow. But like, so what? I know how I would answer this, but like, what what are some things that you do while you're improvising, or that you're that are a good idea, good like things to think about while you're improvising, or good things to not think about that other people mm-hmm. do that don't things that people don't do that you wish they did or can answer that however you want but just talk about improv a little bit well I'll, let me uh, let me back up by mm-hmm. saying that um, improvisation doesn't necessarily just mean soloing right yes um, you know accompanying mm-hmm. is improvisation mm-hmm. um, and it and if you're going to accompany your ears have to be open mm-hmm. um, you know if you're going along doing your own thing without any regard for what else is going on around you, you know, that's not music. Mm-hmm. Um, but even uh, as far as, uh, you know, improvis- improvisation on soloing, um, is this a, what, are we uh, G-rated or, or Whatever, rated Whatever. Okay, well, let me, <laughs> when, I, when I was studying with Everett Devan, um, he, he, you know, he was teaching me how to improvise and he told me something that blew my mind away Mm. and he said uh when you approach a solo think about it like making love to a woman Mm -hmm. i said what he goes well you don't you don't want to go for the whole thing right up top you Mm -hmm. need to you need to warm her up a little bit tell the story Mm -hmm. you know build to a climax and -hmm. then let it fall yeah you know, there should be a definite, and it, you know, I mean, that's maybe kind of a crude way to think about it. No, but in, exactly in all honesty, right. you know, that's uh, that's about the best analogy I can give for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, you know, when you are, anytime you have a chance to to tell a story, you should tell a story. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you don't go right to the punchline of a joke. Right. Um, you know, if you think about a joke... There's a lot of buildup, you know, you, you start mm-hmm. here, you're telling this story, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden, then you reach this place where that, there, there's your punchline. Mm-hmm. And then the laughs as you fall back down, that, you know, there, there should be yeah. a definite uh, crest yeah. towards the end of your solo. And then, you know, the other thing is, and I, I, I hear this a lot in, in younger musicians, is um, the, your story needs an ending. Like it can't, it can't just, you can't just, you can't just have a climax and then be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be a little bit of an epilogue mm-hmm. to, 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 to say, okay, that's and now, point. now I'm done. Yeah. That's a good point, man. I like that a lot. And it may be a, a G rated version would be like a story or a movie. Right. You know, you don't start with the Lord of the Rings battle scene in the first right. movie. You build it up da, 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 and right. then at the end, yeah. And, but, uh, but I like that analogy because. That, I mean, that's that's what everybody needs to know is kind of soloing 101 is that you you don't you kind of and you don't even have to think it out as you know the immediately the first note but you're but you're like you're knowing that you're gonna build right. you know and and like so for us in country 
the thing that annoys me during solos in country is they give you like this much, but in jazz sure. they might give you like four rounds or so or two rounds of a song, and then you have this time to build the story. But in sure. country they give you a half of a half of a lead, you know, steel, and then the violin, you know, and like so that is annoying. But so like I guess what I would ask is that to to a, to a classical player they'd be like they pro. To us jazz people, we know exactly what you're talking about right there. But to them, it's they're they're already scared, you know. So sure. so saying it like that would would still scare them, I guess. So what? So for me on violin, what I would tell them in regards to what you're meaning there of play of do the build, I would give them like little little examples of ditties of here then here then here so an example might be like what like kind of longer stuff at the beginning or use spaces or yeah. right or maybe range right you start start down a little bit and then as you go you can kind of come up in your range like on the keyboard or something like what are some tricks on piano in regards to that building stuff that you might do well I'll, you know let me uh I'll speak in terms of organ just because oh, yeah, that's, that's, organ, my, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my yeah. axe is, um, you know, like you said, uh, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, getting into it, I'll start with very simple ideas mm. and put some space in between them. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're thinking about just, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, very simple ideas and leave some space in between and then by the time you know once you're kind of uh, in the middle part of the story you know if you're pl maybe playing some longer lines um you know on the organ um it's it's a special thing because there's no decay of the mm -hmm. note so uh, you know a lot of the time when i'm trying to build intensity i can hold a note you know yeah. as long as i want mm -hmm. um you know, and, and while I'm holding that one note, then I can start playing some other notes with it. You know, mm -hmm. that brings the intensity up because right. now you've got maybe some harmony or some clashing tones even. Right. Um, and then, you know, by the time that I'm, you know, that I'm building to a climax, a lot of the time on the organ, you know, I'm starting to play full on chordal things um, and pulling draw bars out, you know, the yeah. stops on the organ, yeah. uh, you know, to, to have a bigger sound coming out of the mm -hmm. instrument flipping uh, the leslie switch so that there's a tremulent factor going on and um you know and then by the time that you know all that is done you know oftentimes i'm, I'm going back to those simpler ideas to finish the story right um you know and, and pushing pushing the stops back in and and, and um coming back down from the from the mountaintop, you know. Yeah, that's great, man. I mean, like, and you just mentioned something, too, that we haven't really mentioned is just straight-up volume, too, yeah. can do this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you start literally, you know, quiet, and right. then you're building up to a bigger thing. And uh, so, like, because I'm, I'm teaching a lot, and I always try to tell them stuff like that where, because... Because when, when I try to speak to them in these super broad terms, I know what I mean, but they don't because they're <laughs> scared to death, right? So I try to give them like literal, you know, exact examples, but it's tricky to give them exact examples because then they turn into little robs, you know, and mm -hmm. then now they're yeah. not making their own choices and stuff. But uh, I think any student yeah. is, uh, is guilty of that to some degree. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, for the longest time was, uh, was, pegged as a as a mini Everett you know mm -hmm. I think I think we all we all mm -hmm. take an element of who our teachers are um, yeah. but I get what you're saying yeah 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 so that's cool man I mean improv is I know a huge part of um our scene here with because because jazz is silly to say because everybody does a little bit of latin stuff and a little bit of yeah. funk and a little bit of blues and it's all that big hip hop of, yeah. and hip-hop stuff and that big Everybody seems in their jazz shows to do swing and Latin and, to, and right. all together, but uh, we use improv and like all of that, and it sounds very jazzy, I guess you would want to say. <laughs> but uh, um, so, um, so last couple things I, I was curious about with you is um, with talking about like writing your own tunes, and you were talking about uh, the idea of improv not just being solos, and you were talking about comping being actual improv. But uh, writing is actual sort of improv too, right? Yeah. It's the creation, and um, so I guess 
when, when I wrote, because I wrote two albums of rock, jazzy rock kind of stuff, and one thing that I always found really fun was actually the arranging of it afterwards. Like, coming up with the, the actual riff was fun, but when I had these three big sections, and then the sitting there and going like, oh, no, 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 this doesn't sound good after this. This needs to be before that, or like realizing I have like a head kind of two minutes of head ish stuff and then I have this really epic kind of thing mm -hmm. I need something right here to sure. build into the into the even more epic you know just the mapping out of the whole song was is really fun to me um what's what's fun to you about writing what's cool about it man um what's fun to me is that uh, I feel like um the tunes that I that I've written and, and that we've performed or recorded uh, more accurately reflect who I am. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, when you record somebody else's tune, you put yourself into it. Mm -hmm. But when you when you perform or record your own stuff, that's that's just you. Yeah, and that's um, mm -hmm. you know that that's purely Chris Hazelton. Mm -hmm. That tune, uh, you know, that melody came from somewhere deep inside that, uh, you know, for some reason it needed to escape. Um, but you know, the other, the other thing that I think is such a, uh, incredible thing is that sometimes you have a vision of where this thing's going and once it comes to paper and once it is handed to other musicians, that vision can completely change mm. um, because you know this has happened to me several times over where I've written a tune and I had I had this grand vision of how it was going to sound and how it was going to feel and then I bring it to the bandstand because we don't rehearse in Kansas City, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know I've, I've, just a disclaimer. <laughs> but you know I bring it to the bandstand and you know the, and the band reads it down and it's like wow that wasn't at all like what I thought it was going to sound like but I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and a matter of fact, the the session that we did uh, just this last Sunday, finishing up our, our next record, there's a tune that we um, that I wrote that. Uh, it's a, it's like the only true like Latin boogaloo that we have in the book, um, kind of in the style of uh, of Bang Bang by uh, the Joe Cuba Sextet, um, but we brought in a couple of uh, percussionists that are not members of the band. We had uh, John Kazilamut was playing timbales, and uh, Juan Carlos Charand was uh, from making movies was playing congas, and then our our percussionist Pat uh, shifted over to bongos. Um, but you know, there's this percussion breakdown that I was kind of like, oh, you know, we'll just kind of groove through it and, and that'll be that. And, and the guys were like, no, let's, let's, let's like pass it around. Like, yeah. and, and so, you know, like the first A, you know, Pat played a little thing on bongos and the second A, uh, Juan Carlos played something on, on uh, congas and the, the B section, uh, Danny was playing a drum solo. Mm -hmm. And then the last A section, John was playing like some really uh, like kind of counter rhythm stuff on timbales, and then they came up with this this like like all percussion section like break yeah. thing going back into the head that I never would have thought yeah. of, and it that ends up that's being cool. like maybe my favorite moment on the whole record. Yeah, like that's awesome. You know, so it really is. Um, I think it's important that you know. First off, you know who you're writing for. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've always, I've always tried to write tunes with specific people in mind to play them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the on the last record we did, I had a, a tune um, that was I, I wrote specifically with Nick Rowland in mind mm -hmm. um, as an alto sax feature, um, and it's you know. <laughs> He's the only person that could play it. Like, you know, I, I can't hear anybody else play that tune. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to, to leave room in your mind for the fact that people are going to bring themselves to your tune. Yes. And they're going to bring yeah. their own things, good or bad, um, but usually good. Mm -hmm. You know, usually I've, I've never run into a situation where uh, I was like completely opposed to what somebody else brought to mm -hmm. my tune. Yeah. Um, more often than not, 
you know, the amazing musicians that I am blessed to play with bring something that I never would have thought have, uh, and, and, you know, enhance my tune. Right. So, and that's kind of, that's kind of a little bit of the key because you're, you're blessed to, you know, know so many good people. I mean, you know, obviously if you give, if you give, you know, Matt Hopper, pretty much anything. I mean, he's going to kill it. You know, I mean, he's a really good player and, and anybody else you're getting is going to do the same. And I noticed when I was playing my band, like, and I didn't even think about this. I, I thought about this, like, so we were doing a lot of like nineties and seventies stuff, like Pink Floyd and Almond Brothers, but I knew that I wanted to bring jazz guys and play that. And so I was thinking that in regards to like chords and things like that. But then I brought them a couple of like STP songs and Brad, instead of doing rock beat, he does basically funky rock beat over it. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds so awesome. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, he, he puts Brad Williams funk on it right. in a rock, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this now sounds like how we need to sound because I wanted it to sound different and and then obviously, you know, you throw, you know, DeAndre Manning into the mix playing those bass lines, but funky. And, and then uh, we had Joe Lesnicki. I don't know if you knew, if you knew Joe, but guitar, jazz guitar player. And so right. he was doing all these rock chords, but doing like ninths on them and stuff, you know? And so I was <laughs> like, see, this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted regular tunes in kind of the regular format, you know, not to switch the, the, um, not to not to switch up the uh, structure of it, but I wanted it to do it like jazzy. Right. And do the, that. That's what I wanted in our band. But the only way that I could do it is, is to hire those type of people right. and to know that I want, and I think Miles was really good at this too, especially during his uh, fusion stuff where he's like, I know that there's about 10 other better keyboard players that I could find, but I want you. You know, and and he knew, and just like you said, yeah. you had somebody in mind, and knowing that I want you to do ridiculous crap over this, <laughs> and I I know that I want this beat, but you know, Brad, I want this beat. What are you gonna do? Right. You know, show, show me what you're gonna do, and you're you're so lucky to deal with you know people that are really talented like that. Oh yeah, it's, I mean you know the, and you you know that's a, another skill as a band leader, um, mm. really is is knowing. Who and how to hire? Mm. Um, you know, if you, you know, don't don't hire somebody that can't do the job that you want them to do. Mm. I mean, unless it's an absolute desperate, Dire, yeah. desperate situation, but you know, um, you gotta you gotta be a good evaluator of mm. skill sets. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's certain people I know like if I'm playing a straight ahead swinging jazz gig. These are my top three guys to call. Yeah. But if I'm playing something that's funky, you know, maybe even a little bit more pop edge, like there's these three guys that I need to call. Yeah. You know, so the, being a band leader definitely requires being a uh, a good evaluator of skill sets. Yes, and and you you're making a good point because it's not talent you're talking about; it's skill sets. Skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. And... Everybody. I mean, you know. I, I don't work with anybody that's not talented. Right. I mean, uh, and I, that uh, that probably sounded really egotistical, but it's just the truth. Yeah, but There's, it's everybody the truth, that yeah. I work with is insanely talented. Right. Um, but this, everybody has a very unique and different set of skills. Sure. And this happens at I think open jams a lot, where people will call tunes, and especially at the blues jams, this doesn't happen as much at the jazz jams. With the blues jams, people will call tunes that have like nine chords in them. And I mean, I can handle that, but all the other guys, you right. know, and they're, they just don't, they don't have any kind of a, they're, they're very clueless, like you said, in regards to evaluating their people up on stage right now. I mean, this nine chord rock tune is really dumb right now, <laughs> you know, I mean, especially if you haven't rehearsed, if you haven't, you know, right. and they just, they don't have the wherewithal to do that. And that's not a skill everybody, that's just not a skill right. everybody has. And uh, Miles is one of the best, I think, that of, of yeah doing that um that's cool man i mean i love i love writing music and it's it's a really different skill that I, again another skill that i think a lot of people don't everybody doesn't have and it's not uh, easy yeah it's, i mean it and i feel like my uh my my composing inspiration comes in waves 
Mm. Sometimes yeah. it bursts. Yeah, yeah right, like, right. Sometimes it feels like I've gone like a year without writing anything, and all of a sudden I have like three tunes that I just wrote. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there's another thing I wanted to kind of go back to. You were talking about with improvising, is you. So we talked a little bit about soloing, but um, you know, I, I have to admit, part of doing the show is. You know, I, I have to admit to everybody, there's there's kind of an agenda on my part. I mean, there's some topics that I want to get discussed, some like elephant in the room kind of topics <laughs> that, that I want to hear people's opinions because I think it's really valid because, you know, no offense to anybody, but I'm annoyed when other people don't do these things. So I'm trying to make, you know, accidentally make sure that, that people talk about it. And one of them was comping. We talked mm, about mm-hmm. uh, we talked about soloing and, and the kind of do's and don'ts. But um, talk to me about some of the do's and don'ts of comping. Oh, man. Uh, I think it, you know, it, it depends on uh, each, each uh, comping instrument, I think, has its own mm. kind of things that, um, you know, and everybody's got their own preferences, too. But uh, I guess first and foremost is uh, if you're not listening to whoever is speaking at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not being productive. Uh, and, I, uh, you know, I had, uh, a, the pleasure of studying with Lonnie Smith briefly. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Yeah. Lonnie Smith, who's the greatest living jazz organ player on the, on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he told me a story about, um, uh, a drummer that he was working with that was just so busy. I mean, just mm-hmm. the whole time, just, you know, Phil, just, Phil, just, Phil, just Phil, chatter, Phil. chatter, yeah, chatter, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and he likened it to like, you know, if we're having a conversation, do you appreciate it if I'm talking over you the whole time? Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he said that on this gig, he literally got to the point where, you know, later in the night they would play the head, then he'd cut out drum solo <laughs> and then they'd come back in, play the head again, tune done. And then he did it again on the next tune. Played the head, drum solo. And about the third time he did that is when is when the drummer uh, got the point. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but you know all yeah. that all that to say is that um, you know you what you do should be tasteful in respect to who's talking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that there's a there's a, a very fine balance. Um, that you have to ride because you you do need to support what's going on and be um, I don't I don't like um, I don't like reactionary compers mm-hmm. um, I feel like like if you're just mimicking what the solos is doing like it's kind of disingenuous mm-hmm. I feel like that your job as an accompanist should be to propel new ideas out of mm. out of That's who's talking yeah you know and um and there certainly is a place for for reactionary things in comp yeah. in comping um you know that obviously proves that you're listening but uh i you know it, again when you're thinking about a solo as this as this climbing uh you know story that 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 needs to get here from here mm-hmm. you know you as a as a accompanist should be helping move the soloist up the mountain, mm. you know, and, and um, what you do should be propelling the bandstand forward and forward and forward and following, you know, when they climax and when they're, you know, giving their ending, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can help, you can help bring the band back down uh, at the end of a solo. Um, but I think it's also important to know that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's rules and, there's rules that are meant to be broken too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, just uh, I think that um, especially quarterly, you know, there's certain there's certain things you can do that uh, that are kind of out. Yeah. But still, kind of uh, adhere to a set of rules 
as long as the soloist knows what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. So they're in in regards to the communication. Right. You know, and, and they're they're out when when people have absolutely no idea what you're doing. Right. You can kind of ruin a whole section or something. I mean, right? yeah. you, your whole job is to make somebody else sound good. Yeah. And if you're not making somebody else sound good, mm -hmm. uh, you're not doing your job. Yeah. I've found, especially because I, I go to way more blues jams than jazz jams. I'm a pretty average jazz player, but the, when I go and listen to a lot of jazz guys or even go to the jams, I notice that, you know, and again, no offense, blues guys, but, the, you know, in general, I see the listening part and the backing off kind of stuff. Uh, the guys in the jazz scene are just way, they're more understanding of that than the blues scene in general there's a ton of blues guys that totally get the etiquette stuff you sure. know they they get the back off and you know turn down to four on my guitar and instead of 10 and like and <laughs> and and don't don't play over everyone and i in the blues guys i'll see some guys some keyboardists and they're they're dunga 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 and then the comping dunga 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 and their solo dunga 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 and then the drum solo dunga 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 you know like during the singer, dunga dunga, you know, they right. got one gear, you know, and they don't, they don't know, you know. Yeah. And and that that definitely obviously drives me nuts, but I don't know if a whole lot of guys are even hearing them do that, you know, and it's right. like, that's exactly what you're talking about about yeah. constant drumming and I mean, stuff. And it, yeah, you know, if, if if all you know, I I uh, I've I've worked quite a bit with with um, gospel choirs over uh, the course of the last eight to ten years mm -hmm. and one of the things that uh is always stressed is if you can't hear the person next to you you're singing too loud mm. um because yeah. you know in, in a choir you're you're trying to get so many voices to sound like one voice mm. and i think that i think that applies to the bandstand too i mean obviously you've got individual personalities but you're all trying to make one beautiful musical sound mm -hmm. um and you know especially you know i've, I've done my fair share of, of blues jams and stuff mm -hmm. too and, and um you know the thing that uh, on that regard and, and in jazz too um is you know too many people don't respect or understand that time is the best is, is the most important part of comping you know, if you're playing all kinds of whack out of rhythm stuff, man, like that's that's just a total drag for everybody else on stage. Um, you know, I would much rather have somebody that plays tastefully and in time than somebody that has infinite knowledge and chops. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm kind of like that too. That I definitely do, like, you know, obviously I'm not you know, Miles or something, but I play more like a Miles than I do a Charlie Parker is kind of what you're saying, you know, where, where it's a thousand notes. I play more riff kind of style sort of, and, and more like less notes, better time, you know, that I try to anyways, obviously I'm not as good as Miles, but like, I, I know what you're talking about. I would rather choose to play more tastefully with kind of less stuff than endless 16 notes, <laughs> you know, endless, yeah. endless lines and stuff, you know, like, but I mean, even, even, you know, in comping, like with, with the blues, I mean, I think, um, you know, too many, too many people are trying to do so much underneath what's going on mm -hmm. that may, like, you know, honestly, a lot of the time, all that the music requires, you know, if you're at this tempo, all that the music requires is, uh, yeah. uh, 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 mm -hmm. uh, 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 yep. uh, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of simple stuff that propels the rhythm forward. Mm -hmm. And that leaves all the space in the world for whoever's soloing mm -hmm. to do what they want to do. Yeah. It's effective. That's really good. I like what you said, too, about the rhythm, because, like, and this is proven by basically most jazz soloists, is that you, when you, you screw, you screw around with your time, like, the entire time, it is pretty annoying to everybody. But what what happens when you screw around with the key, but you keep your time really good? Mm. It sounds pretty good usually. You know, people can come out of key a lot. You know, even in but if they keep that swinging super hard, you know, yeah, what's going on there, Whoa. man? That's crazy. 
Um, uh, the clouds parted. Yeah, I know. There you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I've noticed that a lot, and that's probably a big difference between like jazz, country, blues, rock kind of stuff, as opposed to classical. Classical is very note driven. You know, it's very harmony and pitch driven, but jazz and stuff is very rhythm driven, and I, I just like that that you said yeah. that. Um, and and you also said something too about mentioning horn players. So let's take Nick for example. When Nick's not doing a solo, what's he doing? Standing around. Standing there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that and that's kind He's of He's gonna a, kill me for saying no, that. No, <laughs> but he should be. What is everybody what are all the other horn players doing when they aren't doing a solo? They well, stand there, right? Yeah, a lot Do you know of what I'm time, saying? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, my um I I like the fact that in in, in my band specifically I've got horn players that uh that are capable uh, auxiliary percussionists as well. You know, Nick Howell yeah. uh, is like the greatest tambourine shaker I know of. And, you know, when he's not soloing, oftentimes he's got tambourine in hand and playing. And the same with Brett Jackson. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's come a long way playing tambourine and shaker. And, and uh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, it, it enhances the music. Yeah. You know, and, and it's stylistically, you know, that's what that music right. calls for. You know, it's not going to work for every band. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying it to him as an example, as a compliment, because when I go over to the blues jams, those guitar players, that's not what they're doing. Right. They're blooming, you know, in the middle of everybody's solo. And so when you, yeah, when it's not your, you know, sometimes when it's another person's solo, your, your job is to keep going. I mean, you, right. you're given rhythm, but he, and what's the reason for him doing nothing? Right. Because he's back, right? I mean... Well, and you know, the other thing, you know, kind of from a, from a flip side of this is, and this is especially prevalent in jam sessions, um, is I think that uh, there needs to be respect from the soloists to the accompanists. Mm, in that, you, that? Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, being a Hammond B3 player, um, you know, I'm, I'm playing two roles in that I'm the bass player and I'm the pianist mm -hmm. um, at the same time. And I have to play the whole tune, no matter what. Yeah. Unless, I mean, unless there's a drum solo where I drop out. But, you know, I mean, I, you know, oftentimes I'm playing the whole tune the whole time. You know, and if we're talking about a jam session where there's, you know, nine people that want to take a solo, and you got one dude that wants to take 13 choruses, you know, that's just not respectful to the, to the people that have to play the whole time. You know, like you said, with the horn players, you know, you... You get to play your 13 choruses and then go stand against the wall and drink whiskey. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, and I think also from a listening perspective, you know, if, if you are, um, if you have respect for your accompanists, you can hear when they've brought you to your climax and when it's time to quit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I certainly have never been in a situation where I had 13 choruses worth of something to say. Yeah. That's just me, but... Well, they say, like, I think it was Parker or something, you're playing more than four and you're just practicing or something. I don't know who man, said that. there's a lot yeah. of truth to that. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot of truth yeah. to that. I mean, you know, some people can, can take it longer, but, right. you know, there's a, famous, uh, there's a famous quote between Miles and Coltrane where, you know, at that point in Coltrane's career, he was, you know, coming up with all these you know, sheets of sound, uh, mm -hmm. you know, ideas, just playing all this stuff and, he's, mm -hmm. you know, playing and playing and playing. And, and he's, he said to Miles one day, like, man, I, I just never know how to wrap things up. And Miles's response was, take the effing horn out your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's, that's good, man. Um, all right, two quick ones for you to kind of wrap up here. Um, so both of us are still, you know, relatively relatively young compared to the Lonnie's and Everett's of the world you know but uh what have you seen in you know in, in our kind of music career so far of kind of advice for other like 20-ish year olds or the mm. dudes coming into the music scene that want to make this a career uh man be present but don't have expectations mm. um you know you should uh, take every opportunity to meet and uh and network with people that have been doing this for a long time um 
you know, have your face shown. Don't let people forget your face. Um, but don't ever expect to sit in. I mean, don't, don't walk into a place expecting to sit in. And if you are uh, fortunate enough to be asked to sit in, um, remember that it's not your show. It's not your gig. Um, you know, you've been, you've been invited to partake in something else that doesn't belong to you. Um, you know, that's a, that's a blessing. Um, I would also say, um, you know, whenever you are hired to play, you should show up dressed like you want to be there. You should show up with an attitude like you want to be there. You should show up with an attitude like, man, I'm blessed because I get to share this with somebody tonight. Uh, you should show up ready. You know, uh, know, know the tunes that you're supposed to play. If, if you've got specific tunes that you're supposed to play. I would go as far as to say, you know, the... Uh, I don't know if guys still take real books around anymore. I mean, that was kind of a thing when, when we were... We're coming up, you know, everybody had like three real books yeah. that were like this big right. and, 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 you know, people kind of trudged around with them. But I made it a point early on in my career is to leave that thing at home. Mm. It, and um, there is no shame in saying, I don't know that tune. Yeah, that's a good piece uh, of advice. I would, yeah. I, you know, there's a place for the real book. There's a place for charts. Um, but it is more important for you to learn those tunes and internalize those tunes make them part of your arsenal um, rather than just regurgitating what's on a page um, because the page is a crutch mm. and, and you will do your best playing when you are not looking at a page oh yeah um, I yeah leave the real book at home um, you know, and uh, if if somebody calls a tune you don't know, write that thing down and go learn it. Mm. Um, I, I had a moment in New York um, that was one of the defining moments in my kind of infantile music career. Um, I had been going to a jam, or not, it wasn't a jam, it was a, it was a, a gig. Um, Mike LaDon's organ quartet plays at Smoke every Tuesday. They've been doing this for like 15 years or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. They play every Tuesday night, and I'd been going to see them, and, and oftentimes in the last set, they would they would invite people to sit in um, if they knew them. You know, it wasn't a jam, like I said. Right. They, they would just invite people that they knew that could play, could get up and, and play a tune or two. And So they had invited me up to play, and uh, somebody on the bandstand had called a tune that I didn't know all that well. It was, I, it was Falling in Love with Love, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I mistakenly said oh yeah sure let's do it they counted it off and i just fell flat on my face like just absolutely crapped the bed and um you know it was uh <laughs> smoke the club is set up to where there's the bandstand and when you get off the bandstand there's really only one route coming off the bandstand is to go right down the whole bar yeah wow. and um mike was mike ladon was standing at the end of the bar and i i kind of like, you know, humbly went up and said, hey, Mike, thanks for, thanks for letting me sit in. He goes, yeah, man, that wasn't very good. You need to go home and learn that tune. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, man, that was harsh. Yeah. And then, you know, years down the road, I realized, no, that wasn't harsh. That was what I needed to hear at the yeah. time. So, you know, all that to say, um, you know, be, be especially for um, young musicians and people that are trying to get better and do this as a career, you know, be uh, responsive to criticism, mm. um, you know, especially from people that have been doing this as long as, as uh, guys like Mike have been doing it. Um, you know, they know what they're talking about, and they're, they're you know, I have always appreciated people that didn't BS me. Yeah. Um, I don't want to hear good job if I didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't want to hear, oh man, you were killing, if uh, if I wasn't indeed killing. Yeah. You know, I I uh, I, I appreciated. Um, criticism when I got it how much do we need that in our world right now oh man people owning up to don't own up to stuff that's not your fault not your fault but stuff that's your fault you know yeah. that's a, that's a great piece of advice man and that's that's interesting you said that because 
I found that, and I'm stereotyping here, but a lot of, because again, I'm not always dealing with jazz guys, but especially when I go deal with a lot of a lot of country players, for example, they have not taken a whole ton of lessons, you know, but then when you go over to the, you know, academy, you know, everybody's taken, you know, 13 years of violin lessons, and so, you know, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, they have quartet rehearsal, and they get told how to do it better, and then they go to orchestra, and they get told how to do it better, then they go to their lesson, how to do it better, right? Mm-hmm. Then, the, then a theater, or a theory class, and they get told how to do it, you know, so they're just used to, they're used to taking criticism, so they're just right. used to it, but some of these, some of these other guys, they, uh, you tell them something, and they're, they're like, screw you, you know, and right. like, and... I, that's a great piece of advice, man. Um, and I love what you said about the real book too. And I know that I've had this before, like when we went to um, the what was it called? Oh, the Winfield Bluegrass Festival, and a friend of mine let me borrow his violin because I didn't want to bring my really nice one out to camp right, like sure. that. But um, I realized that I'm like, all right, I don't have my five string with me. Or, or I've been out and I've had my viola with me and then I was like, man, I feel like going to this jam. And so now I have my viola and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to deal with it. I got what I got right now. I don't have my real book. I don't even have my, my instrument. I don't even have literally right. a violin. I'm going to go deal with this right now. I'm going to do whatever I can do with this. And my, what, what's in my head right now is going to be enough. You know, know, knowing however many rock tunes you have or however many real book tunes and that, that's such a, a talent to have. I think that you, you have your talent and you're bringing your stuff to this right now and you don't, all you're practicing and, and if they, a big one is keys too, right? Like this has happened to me a lot. They'll call like, they'll never be another you. And they're like, but we need to do this in a flat. I'm like, shit, (laughs) you know, know, we've Uh all had that, you know, and you're like, If you, you know, even if you haven't practiced that key, maybe at least if you've practiced that song in a different key, then you're, you got the melody in your head and like, that's a great piece of advice, man, to not get, uh, not get crutched by that, by that real book. It's so important to internalize, uh, you know, cause you know, and especially, yeah, I don't, I've never been a horn player, so I've never had to deal with, um, the way that horn players have to transpose, but for me, learning on on keyboards and on organ, you know, you, you learn how chords move. Mm-hmm. And once you learn how chords move, you can kind of translate that to other keys without yeah. thinking about it too much because it's just, you know, that this is moving there and that's moving there. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I imagine it would be a lot more difficult for horn players. In that way, and I'm pretty much like, a, you know, my role in a, in a band like that would be definitely obviously a horn player role. But I mean, you, you notice that, and you know this better than everybody about how, I mean, it's all, it's all two, five, two, five, two, five, two, five. Right. You know, and, and so I'd bet you start, you know, learning 16, uh, all the things you are, you know, I mean, that's an example, a good yeah. example of a song that's just two, five, two, five, two. And right. When, I guess once you learn those, uh, you know, it would be easy to translate that, but, uh, um, cool, man. All right. Last one I got for you. Um, I've been trying to end the show uh, with kind of people, you know, telling about a completely horrible moment in the music <laughs> business or a really, a really horrible moment that's really funny now oh, or a man. really funny moment or a moment you'll never forget. I mean, you probably tell as many of them as you want, but. Oh, man. I mean, there's, there's, uh, yeah. If you've done this for any significant amount of time, you, you have stories. Yeah. Um, the one that. <laughs> Still makes me chuckle. Um, is actually fairly recent within the last few years. You know, the the Boogaloo Seven plays very danceable music. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funky. You know, it gets people moving. And um, you know, especially uh, you know, we have some pretty charismatic soloists in our horn section. And, and um, this particular night, Nick Rowland was taking a, a just a Wayland saxophone mm-hmm. solo. You know, eyes closed, and he's really in it. I mean, just just doing the thing, and people are in it, and and and, and just, you know, going crazy, and 
I'm watching, the rest of the band's watching, and he's, you know, like I said, he's got his eyes closed and playing, mm -hmm. and unbeknownst to him, this gal had come up and started pole dancing on the microphone stand right in front of him. <laughs> like, and by the time that he opened up his eyes, he had no idea. <laughs> but man, uh, you know, especially when you, when you play uh, crazy late night hours oh, after yeah. people have been drinking for so long, you Crazy things happen. Oh yeah, man, that's funny. It's crazy dude. things happen. And that—that that was, I guess, the last thing I'll say is that was another thing about thinking about the audience of something that I know I've done because I started like three years old, you know. So I, on ear, so I've been really good for a long time at, you know, uh, muscle memorying my instrument and closing my eyes and stuff. But that was another thing that Lonnie told me one time, Lonnie McFadden. He's he, or he didn't really tell me this, but it was something that I got from him. He's like, he kind of was implying like, do you ever open your eyes and like look at the crowd? Or are you so ingrained in what you're doing in, in, in regards to what tune to call or knowing the vibe of the room? He's like, and I, I realized kind of, he didn't really say it that way, but I realized at that moment, I'm like, I never even look at the crowd. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's just a, a good yeah. aha moment for me to, to go like, yeah, idiot, look at the crowd once in a while. You already know what you're doing. You can, you know, you know how to play rhythm and crap, you know, so. They'll tell you what's supposed to come next. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. Um, uh, anything else you got? Man, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad to, I'm always, uh, I'm always glad to hear your band, and I know you're a good player, and, and it's cool that you're kind of running a, running a thing now, you know, and, and running a, pretty you know well-known group in town and you gotta you got a steady gig and stuff that's that's really cool that you're doing that because i don't know a whole lot of people that are doing ex exactly specifically what you're doing i mean everybody you know there's people who have combos and stuff yeah. but uh the you know i, I don't want to describe it i guess because i always get in trouble with people when i <laughs> when i, t I I'm, I'm complimenting them and then i describe their stuff and by describing it i insult them <laughs> The, and I don't even want to, but uh, but anyway, that's cool, man. That you're playing in town. I'm really glad that you're, you know, you know, one of us that is uh, kind of this new, new uh, up and coming uh, jazz scene. You know, when yeah. when uh, some some of these guys kind of decide to put it up, you know, and we're we're it, man. No pressure. Worse. Yeah, yeah. I quit my day job in in July. Oh, did to, you? Uh, to do this thing full time and and to stay home with my daughter. So. That's all I got now. Yeah, that's all you got. Yeah. Good, good for you, man. But a lot of people got to have that. You know, they they can't they can't find nineteen gigs a month. You know, hardly any of us can. So they got to find that stupid day job that none of us want to do. But you can make it work. At, uh, I did that grind for a long time. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, well, Casey, music talk. We'll be back with some more, uh, yeah, look at that sign. That's killer. That's what kind of operation we're running here. Bit it, bit, bit it. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll see you guys later. That's it. Take it easy.